When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is the Financial Times podcast in association with City Index. Incentives to transfer out of employee pension schemes, but are they ever enough? the future of banking, contactless payments that you make with your mobile phone, and why volatile equity markets are pushing wealth managers to recommend growth funds over defensives. All this to come in this week's FT Money Show. I'm Elaine Moore, and with Matthew Vincent away at a financial conference today, I'll be giving you all the money news this week in downloadable form with the help of my FT colleague, Josephine Cumbo. Hello. And from our sister publication, Money Management, Geordie Clark. Hello. And our special studio guest, Angle Dobajiev, Principal Analyst from technology advisory firm Ovum. Hello. So let's start with the money news. This week, the regulator has said it is concerned about a drive to encourage pension members to transfer their savings pots out of their employer's scheme. Since 2008, more than 90,000 employees have been encouraged to shift out of their defined benefit scheme, or final salary scheme, and move their money into a personal pension scheme. The FSA is questioning how advisors are calculating when such a move is in an individual's best interest. It has suggested that advisors could be selling their services to employers to encourage more members to move out of an employee pension scheme. So, Joe, these transfers from employee scheme to private scheme have become a lot more common recently, haven't they? Yes, what we've seen over the past few years is that employers were weighted down by the, the bills of final salary pension schemes have been trying to shift these pension scheme members off these schemes into personal pension arrangements and they're doing that by offering them incentives such as cash or paying out their pension to get them to move to to lighten the burden on the book. And is it ever in an employee's best interest then to leave their employer's scheme? Final salary schemes and pensions are called gold-plated for for the reasons are that they've got inbuilt benefits such as inflation linking, which is really important. It'll increase every year to keep pace with increases in, in prices and also other benefits such as spouses' benefits, such as if you die, the pension will move on to a spouse or pass on to a beneficiary, which is fairly fairly um, unique now in in the world of pensions. Not many people get offered that in the occupational space. So to give up those benefits is is quite a loss. You can't replicate that. And the FSA, both the FSA and the pensions regulators say in most cases for the majority of people, it is not in their best interest to give up a final salary pension. But there are certain cases, for example, if a person is not married, they don't have a spouse, there is no value for them in having a spouse's benefit or if they're in ill health and could move out and get an enhanced annuity where they'll get a higher income. So very rarely 
um, should anyone take up an offer. That's what the regulator says. But let's talk about the question over advisors. So this is quite a serious accusation that advisors are maybe not working in the best interests of their clients when they work out whether you should move. Yes, the the issue here is that when employers undertake these exercises, they often hire IFAs to provide advice to the employees. You phone up a helpline or they're in there and you can sit down for an hour and they'll assess whether it's in your best interest. But what this report released by the FSA this week highlighted was that some of these firms are actually securing business. They're touting for the contract with the employer by saying, oh, we'll secure you a high transfer rate. So there is a very big conflict of interest already in advisors saying we're going to secure uh, high transfer rates, yet they have to offer independent, impartial advice. And the FSA is saying that because of these practices that the individuals are at high risk of getting unsuitable advice. It's a serious conflict of interest, isn't it, from advisors? And they've also looked at these mortality tables. Do you want to explain Well, these? this is the second leg of this report which came out this week. They're taking action to clean up some of these war-worrying practices in the advice sector, in the regulatory sphere for transfers. But they're now looking at the mortality tables and also lots of other data used when the advisors... Uh, assess whether it's good value for an individual to shift their pension out of a final salary into a personal pension space. They have to do an assessment, the criteria set by the FSA, but the, the data and the assumptions are outdated. The mortality tables, for example, which is used to sort of calculate how much annuity income you can get and whether it's worthwhile shifting out, it's about 10 years old. We're all living yes. a lot longer now. We're all we? living a lot longer. So your pension has to work a lot harder. That final salary pension has to work a lot harder outside to get you the money a lot longer. And what the FSA says is that currently the outdated assumptions they're using are undervaluing by about 15%. The measures they're saying that they want to introduce will raise the bar for uh, transfer value by 15%. So they say that will probably mean fewer people will move out. They'll say that it's, you know, it's more worthwhile staying in a final salary pension. So take that advice with a pinch of salt, perhaps. Thank you very much, Joe. And for more on pensions and whether you should transfer out of your company pension scheme or not, make sure you read Joe's article in the money section of this weekend's FT and online at ft.com forward slash money. Still to come on the show, where should you put your money for global and UK growth? First, though, mobile phone payments. This week, Visa, the world's largest payment processor, announced a worldwide partnership with UK telecoms group Vodafone. This will allow mobile phone customers all over the world to pay for goods and services using just their mobile phone handset. Rather than use cash or a debit or credit card, customers will be able to pay for small items such as coffee or a sandwich by holding their smartphone up against a reader. Visa's partnership with Vodafone is the latest in a long line of deals between telecom companies and the financial services industry. Google, PayPal, Orange and Barclaycard have all staked to claim in this new market, but the number of handsets equipped with the necessary technology remains limited. So, Angle, your firm has been looking into mobile payments for quite a while now. Is cash a thing of the past? 
Not quite uh, is the simple answer, and the reason for that are that to actually provide uh, NFC payments or mobile payments by simply waving the the handset uh, and 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 you pay, it requires a complex plumbing in the background to put together. It's not just the devices enabled with NFC chips that are required. Uh, you need readers with retailers that will accept. Uh, those uh, you need the whole ecosystem between the payment organizations like Visa and Mastercard, the banks, and the telcos to work seamlessly, and so all of those things uh, we're seeing the building blocks being put into place for that. But it will take quite some time. You know, you can look at this as putting a new heating in your house. Uh, you know, in, in order for, for all of it to work seamlessly, you need to sort of connect the plumbing which you don't see under the floors, in the background, the boilers, and so on. Uh, and, and that's complex work. You can't just flick a switch and suddenly use your mobile phone instead of your pound coins. But there have been a few more readers installed in shops recently in the UK in particular, haven't there? I'm thinking of Boots has put them in. Yep. Uh, Pret-a-Manger as well, I think. Absolutely. And and this is the trend that we're seeing as retailers uh, upgrade their um, readers. Uh, they, they naturally will upgrade to uh, NFC-enabled readers. But that is a long replacement cycle. You know, it, it doesn't just happen overnight. And in the current retail environment, well, a lot of retailers are hard-pressed with the slow-growing economy, a number of them clearly going out of business and so on. They will stage these investments uh you know, at, at a given time, and and uh, you know, it, it will take some time. It's uh, everyone keeps saying this is a chicken and egg situation because, of course, the companies, the retailers, don't want to fit a reader unless they know that their customers will mm-hmm. use a phone to pay for things. But then the customers, unless they know there's a reader out there and a phone out there to pay for things with, they're not going to use it. Absolutely, and uh, this is what we call the supply side conundrum that the industry is trying to resolve right now with a big concerted push uh, from both device manufacturers, from retailers, uh, from payment organizations and others. And and that can be resolved, but it will take time. Uh, And, you know, the reason the supply side is coming together is because the whole scenario is quite compelling. You know, the ability for you just to uh, flick a phone and and pay for small items, but not just that, with smartphones, uh, they're very capable devices with location technology, uh, with smartphone applications that can potentially give promotions of of certain retailers in a given location. So you can envisage a scenario where uh, you walk around a certain location and your smartphone gives you an indication there's a retailer with a discount, you flick your phone, you pay in that uh, sort of uh, retailer. That's quite a compelling case. Uh, However, you know, as I said, the plumbing to put that together, it does require quite a bit of time to put together. There's also been quite a lot of talk this week about privacy settings and people who are very concerned that some of these very large companies are watching and tracking every move that you make. And if you therefore also hand over your banking systems to them as well, they have sort of a complete idea of of what you're doing, what you're spending, and you lose some autonomy. And then there's also the concern that you would endanger your your finances, that somebody could steal your phone and start paying for things. And those are valid concerns by the users and, and every server that we do and every server that 
that others do uh, you know indicate that many of us do have concerns around uh, boat security which is a separate issue in, in how secure uh, mobile payments can be and whether you know if you lose your phone you lose your digital wallet and how that can be retrieved which is in reality no different to actually losing your physical wallet uh, you just still need to go through the whole process of re- replacing a, a lot of the items that you had on it but the issue of privacy is a slightly separate issue uh, in a sense that companies like Google and, and Facebook, which is also uh, um, in, it's rumored to have uh, strong plans uh, in, in this space, um, do uh, their whole business model is, is on advertising-based, uh, and they do use the insights that they get from our behavior with search behavior or in the future, uh, transactional payment behavior to profile us and sell that data to uh, retailers and advertisers. And and that that does raise uh, serious concerns, which need to be addressed with some clear guidelines. That's the flip side of the discounts that might be on offer. Thank you very much, Angle. And for full details of which providers are offering mobile payments, read this weekend's FT Money section or take a look at our website, ft.com forward slash money. And finally today, global growth funds. Wealth managers say that the current economic climate has encouraged a lot of investors to seek out investments that provide income on a short-term basis, rather than looking at the long-term story. In these uncertain times, it seems that a lot of us are favouring the near-term cash flow offered by dividends. But managers are warning clients not to chase investment fads that are vulnerable to market swings, and instead seek out steady, long-term growth holdings. Geordie, I guess the question everybody always wants to know is where should I be investing my money? And you've been looking at UK and global growth funds this week. What sorts of returns have they been offering? Well, it's a, a actually quite a wide breadth of returns. But for the most part, global growth funds can offer you strong, steady returns over the long term. Uh, it's a big sector. There are a lot of funds in there. So you can get quite a variance. But Let's say, on average, over 10 years, global growth funds in general returned £1,499 on an original investment of £1,000. It's not bad. Not bad, but it's not incredible when you look at emerging markets funds, and they've returned £3,165 in the same time frame. However, if you were to invest in the better funds in that sector, you can be pretty much earning the same amount of money. So it's a matter of picking and choosing your way through the sector because it's quite large. This is the better funds within the growth sector could actually compete with some of the best funds in the emerging market sector. Well, they certainly can. Uh, They do have more risk than other funds in the growth sector that aren't returning quite as much because for uh, a greater return, you have to take a a greater amount of risk. But they're not investing uh, in those riskier emerging markets type holdings that you'll find in the emerging markets sector. So can we talk specific funds then? Which ones have you looked at that are offering a particularly good deal? Uh, right now, you, you'll you get good returns from the likes of the M&G Global Basics Fund, which uh, itself returned an average of, well, returned £3,369 in a 10-year period, which is better than the average of the emerging market sector. It's a bit riskier than other funds in the global growth sector, uh, but it's one of the biggest funds in the sector and the most popular. But other funds to look at, uh, sort of your blue chip uh, global funds are the Veritas Global Focus Fund. Aberdeen Global World Equity, First State Global Opportunities, those are some of your best performing funds in the sector. They get high ratings from the likes of Morningstar. 
And uh, in the UK sector, UK all companies, you get uh, the Artemis UK Growth Fund, and that's also one of the bigger ones and the better performers. But one of the biggest uh, problems, I guess, is that growth funds miss out on dividends. And a lot of people say that the income from dividends is what's actually fueled the only sort of market growth that we've been seeing recently. So why would we ever want to invest in a sector that's not going to benefit from dividends? Well, it's a misnomer to say that it doesn't benefit from dividends. These these funds are investing in simply companies worldwide that offer growth. And that can be any type of company. And it doesn't matter if they pay dividends or not. The What they're looking for is growth. So uh, they're looking for secular growth areas. That's going to be markets that will be popular despite the economic uh, situation in a country. So, yeah, things like utility companies and energy, gas, oil, consumer goods like luxury brands, things that the, the you know, burgeoning middle classes worldwide will want, um, transportation, pharmaceuticals, chemicals and cosmetics. And they, they'll earn dividends from companies that pay them and they'll not earn dividends from companies that don't, but they'll only invest in companies where they see a long-term growth story. And so the wealth managers that you've been speaking to have said that some of the dangers of people investing in these sort of faddy trends right now, I'm thinking of emerging markets, are that uh, there are huge gains, but there's also huge losses. Is this something that we would not see so much in the global growth or UK growth funds? Uh, well, it's a mixed bag. You you can get a lot of volatility in the global sector. Um, so wealth managers are suggesting basically you need to take a long-term view. 10 to 15 years uh, is your very long-term view, but they say at least five to eight years you should be looking at for these funds because you're not going for the short-term gains. You're going for the long, slow, and steady return. And that's what every wealth manager says you should have at the core of your portfolio. So you put global growth funds and UK growth in the core of your portfolio, and from there you can diversify out if you want to get into trendier assets, then you make that a smaller proportion of your portfolio. But they, they want to prevent people from the short-termist attitude that involves uh, putting your money into something that's popular now, and maybe three years from now you make a big loss and your portfolio has suffered. So try not to be spooked by volatile markets right now and take a long-term view. Thank you very much, Geordie. And if you'd like to know more about growth funds, look out for Geordie's article in FT Money this weekend. But that's all we have time for in this week's FT Money Show. Remember, you can get weekday news updates on our website, ft.com forward slash money. And you can read and comment on our latest blog posts at ft.com forward slash money matters. We'll be back next week with another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Joe, Geordie and our special guest, Angle, from Ovum. Goodbye. goodbye. This is the Financial Times podcast in association with City Index. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.